The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines this hour. Fed Chair Jerome Powell admits he underestimated inflation as lawmakers grill the central bank chief over how he would react if aggressive rate hikes push the U.S. economy into recession. We'll try to make good judgments in real time, but the the main thing is we can't fail on this. We're going to want to see evidence that it really is coming down before we declare any kind of victory. U.S. stock stage a late session rally. Wall Street now on track to snap a three-week losing streak as investors eye the end of what's been a very volatile first half of the year. Uh, European leaders unanimously approve EU candidate status, just candidate status, for Ukraine, with Commission President Ursula von der Leyen hailing the historic moment whilst tempering any expectations for a quick process. All three countries are part of our European family. We've never let any doubt about that. And today's historic decision by leaders confirms that. Japanese inflation topping the Bank of Japan's target for the second month in a row. Further testing the central bank's stance that the economy is still in need of strong support. SoftBank CEO Masayoshi Son holds court at the Japanese giant's AGM, reiterating that despite pressure from the UK, the Nasdaq is still the most likely location for the IPO of chip designer Arm. So welcome, uh, welcome to the program. We're still getting used to that camera fire. Yeah, I thing, know, I know. It's I, you know, to have that wide not, the viewers shot, wouldn't have noticed it, but, but Karen and I would at the start. You'd be like, "Shall I say hello from all of us?" Or no, I'll just read the first headline. I haven't got exactly. Uh, Let's uh, plough on. Friday feeling. Friday feeling. Really? Crack have you got a it. great weekend planned? Uh, I hope so. Have you? I haven't heard yet. My wife hasn't told me. Have you got a great weekend planned? <laughs> it's a big weekend of fun fairs. Right across the UK, there just seem to be fates everywhere. So. It, it is, it is, you're right. Is we have the fate well. season, we have, uh, and Glastonbury as well. So it's going to rain. <laughs> so it's going to rain, everywhere well, it's going to rain. Doom, yes. um, key <laughs> sound operator Nick from our team, he's at right. Glastonbury. Is he? Yeah, he's oh. already having hangovers, I believe, from his, uh, from his social media feed. <laughs> is, that, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a wonderful weekend planned. Good, go on. I'm spending it with George and Mike, right. who, if viewers don't know by now, is, is one of our field producers yeah. and our, our, our top camera operator. Uh-huh. Um, I'm spending it with them. So no, no pony Good. rides or bouncy castles for you? Well, I hope the... Uh, I, I don't know about that. Maybe George <laughs> and I, we're, we're off to somewhere lovely. I hope that the travel part goes smoothly oh, because it's been pretty horrendous I know, for a lot of people. But there is one bit of good news on the travel already. Mm. I, I did speak to Mike and I, I didn't mean it, but I did mm. say, do you need me to do any of the luggage with you? Because he's mm. the camera operator and as all our viewers know, camera operators do not travel lightly. And of course, right. given the trouble we've seen at Heathrow and other airports. Yes. So I did, I did well, half-heartedly say, do you need me to take any of your luggage? And he's like, no. I was like, yes. 
So every, first win of the every weekend. Every piece of luggage has to be checked in now with Brexit and accounted for. Yeah, but I mean, it's unbelievable. Uh, again, not going into the weeds too much because we've got to do the Federal Reserve. But the fact of the matter is, you have to have a thing called a carnet when you mm -hmm. travel with a lot of technical equipment, which, which means it all has really. to be stamped and all that. And, and not it's going an anywhere near a camera operator when they're travelling through an airport is, is the first rule of journalism. It pretty much is, given <laughs> how long they're going to have to spend in customs to get all of that equipment out of the country and back into the country. Indeed. You know, second rule of journalism. <clears throat> The producer must actually book a restaurant. Well, yeah, I, I think there's different ways of, of OBs, you see, different, different styles. And I, right. you, you definitely have certain priorities right, and I don't. Don't remember that second rule of no, journalism. But anyway, uh, the second rule of journalism for Karen, clearly, at this point. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> Fed Chair Jerome Powell, day two. Uh, he sought to leave no doubt over his pledge to fight inflation during the second day of testimony on Capitol Hill. Speaking before the House Financial Services Committee, Powell stressed the Fed's commitment to rein in price pressures as, quote, unconditional. The Fed chair stressed the central bank is looking to avoid causing a recession as it hikes interest rates, but admitted external factors such as the war in Ukraine and the ongoing COVID fallout may make a downturn unavoidable. Powell faced several questions from lawmakers over the Fed's inflation forecasting, which for months downplayed rising CPI as transitory. The Fed chair admitted they had misjudged the scope of inflationary pressures. I want to be honest, sir, that the Fed, I think, underestimated actual inflation. What do you, what do you think you missed? Well, we did underestimate it. With the benefit of hindsight, clearly we did. Basically, these supply-side issues broadly speaking, just didn't get better. There were, there were recurring waves, yeah. and that, that was the judgment we had to make. We knew it could be wrong, and I think when it started to look pretty wrong, we, we pivoted. Well, Powell also said that while the Fed has no direct control over rising fuel prices, they will do what they can to bring overall prices back to acceptable levels. We are mindful that even though these things are outside of our control, the uh, gas prices and food prices for the most part, that just that adds a little bit of urgency in our wanting to get our, our rates into a place where, where we're addressing inflation directly because the public reacts to all kinds of inflation, not just core inflation. Our tools tend generally go to core inflation, so, um, but, and, and we, we, we don't think we can use our tools to change energy prices, but we do think that they, that they add... <laughs> They add uh, to our desire to get uh, expeditiously to the appropriate levels. Right, you'll all be pleased to know that America's banks have passed the latest set piece. And um, this desk has always had problems about set piece stress tests. But the, the banks have passed the Fed's latest round of stress tests with a clean bill of health for all 33 banks are meeting the minimum capital requirements. The latest hypothetical scenario saw banks suffer, and it's hypothetical, banks suffer a combined $612 billion in losses uh, with State Street and JP Morgan, Morgan weathering the tests the best of all the lenders. The banks can now declare dividend payouts and, wait for it, share buyback plans. I'll come to the latter in a moment. Uh, with those announcements slated for after the close on Monday, so let's go back to the markets. And what is fascinating, I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but for me, the psyche is still very worrisome about a whole host of issues, about inflation, about the PMIs that we were debating heartily around the desk yesterday, uh, about recession, about the Japanese inflation data we've just had and we just mentioned in the headlines as well. So actually, the markets have done remarkably well. 
So why have the markets done so well last week? In fact, look, we're up a mean 1%, very steady as she goes across the board. Healthcare was the best performing sector yesterday, up a couple of percent, and for the week, up 6%. Energy coming off somewhat, so okay, not so great for the energy stocks, which are down 3% for the week. But for the rest of us who are relying on said product, um, perhaps a bit of relief on those inflationary pressures. Uh, Copper. Copper's a fantastic one. We call it Dr. Copper in the markets, or have done historically, because it's a great barometer, a weather vane uh, of the market. Copper's down 6.8% for the week. In fact, trading at 16-month lows. We mentioned that again yesterday on the show. So a lot of indicators that have heightened the concerns about the market, just abating. And yet the markets have done very well for the week. The Nasdaq's up 4%. The S&P's up 3.3% as well. So you've got rallying markets... Let's have a look at the banks and see how they're trading as well. Let's see how they perform in a moment, actually. Okay, so I'll just move on and just carry on. But the fact of the matter is, the treasuries have come off aggressively in terms of yield and have also rallied aggressively. Now, they've rallied aggressively because people are worried about recession. They're worried about recession. I'm just going to go back to Jeff and Karen, actually, because I, 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 I can't wait for that wall to reload. Um, so, but what I thought was fascinating is, in this situation, markets have rallied not because... Not because they think everything's hunky-dory and everything's fantastic. Yeah. They've rallied because some of those recession indicators, they haven't gone red, but they've just gone to a, a very light shade of amber at the moment. So people are beginning to worry about it. Some of the lines from the central bank and from the treasury ha- have just become less affirmative in voiding a recession. Uh, we will try and fly- fight inflation was pretty much the message mm. from uh, Jay Powell this week, but we haven't necessarily got all the factors in under our control. But I thought there was something else that I wanted to add, just to change the subject slightly, and you can go back to that as well, by all means, guys. What do we think during one of the most tumultuous first quarters of the year, when we had the most devastating war in Europe for the last 80 years, what do we think corporates were doing? Were they preserving capital? Were they shoring up their employers, employees and paying them more? Were they spending more money on capital? You know exactly what they well, were doing. You're kind of you, leading the witness here, I'm but leading I, I suspect witness. you're going to talk about share buybacks, right? The first quarter oh. of 2022 were record share buybacks. This is what corporates were doing as the markets were falling, as war was coming on Europe, as inflation was surging. They spent... In the S&P, $281 billion, which is up 4% from the fourth quarter of last year's record $270 billion. 374 companies in the S&P reported buybacks of at least $5 million for the quarter. But there was record level. So you've got turmoil on global markets. You've got turmoil on European soil. You've got inflationary pressures surging. And U.S. corporates spent more money on buying back their shares. That's a great indictment of where they see their priorities, isn't it? Uh, Well, if we are going into an earnings recession, um, this is one way at least that they can flatter their EPS uh, by boosting it, by withdrawing equity from the the market effectively. But uh, I agree with you. Um, Well, let's, let's look at this from both ends. From just a straightforward read, does that tell you that actually most uh, C-suite executives in those businesses do not see the risk of a serious and deep recession as very high? So they think the use of the cash is best place to buy back shares rather than store the cash 
because they don't think they're going to have liquidity issues or problems skirting through the recession okay. with, with higher cash levels. Or is it that they have come off the back of several decades of central banks that have been willing to step in every time that the markets looked a little bit wobbly to support it and prevent a recession. Therefore, we have a generation of C-suite executives who haven't had to live through a serious earnings recession, so they are still gung-ho about buying question. shares. It could be one or t'other. I have I one do, question. I Can I just say one question before? Just, so just, just no. because on what you said there, and I don't want to forget it. That's my problem, Karen. I just, um, what is the average price paid for their stock above the current market price? I.e., how much money has been wasted on purchasing 10, 15, 20% above the current price? Because we're pretty much near the trough of pricing, albeit the 3% rally we've had on some of these markets this week. So how much money has been spent buying their own stock deeply out of the money of the current price. So you tell me that's value creation. I know you didn't. You told me it's flashing no. EPS, but they would see yeah. it as the same thing. Sorry, Karen. Oh, that was part of my point, actually. If you look at what the S&P 500 was doing roughly around that time, four and a half thousand, and you think about some of the lows we've traveled to uh, close to, what, uh, 3,700. So that's quite a lot of territory not to get the trade right. But I think to your point, that you've had so much of this mentality of buying the dip for so long on markets because of central banks yeah. being so active and having everyone's back that you've now got CEOs also buying into that. If they see the market come off a little bit and in their own stock in particular, they jump back in and buy. But you know what we've heard in recent days is this may just be the beginning. If we're talking about a recession here, these stock markets could be in the early innings of a sell-off. So there could be more downside to come. One of the other points I want to make too is that uh, what we've heard from Jay Powell is not a level of certainty. For me, the questioning was fascinating yesterday when he was asked about the scenario where you had negative growth and you had rising unemployment, what they would do then when it comes to tackling inflation. He said, well, they would be reluctant to cut. They may slow or stop the rises, but they would be reluctant to cut. So effectively, we now have a Fed that is behind the curve because inflation being somewhat of a lagging indicator, I don't think that gives the market any certainty about direction. No. And I just have one thing that you, I think you said, so I said, mm. you said, well, mm. I said, I don't know yeah. who, it yeah. was two minutes ago, but, but, but about the best oh. use of capital. We probably both said, we probably all said, best yeah. use of capital. It's not actually capital in many cases. We're talking about the largest quota of non-financial corporate debt attached to US corporates that we've seen mm. in generations as well. So when we talk about preservation of capital, what we're talking about actually mm. is preservation of debt raise and what we're going to do with that capital there. And debt that has to be rolled over, mm. refinanced mm. and financed at highest levels we've seen in a very long time as well. So let's just yeah. remind ourselves, this isn't just cash on balance sheet from cash flow positive. Yeah. This is also debt. Yeah, no, absolutely. Don't disagree with that. Although, you know, somebody would probably come back at you and say, well, as long as they can service that debt and as long as the duration is long enough, then it, it doesn't have to be an immediate concern. And who would that person coming back at me? Some long-only fund manager? Let's, let's bring in uh, Chuck Lieberman. Good to have him with us. Partner and uh, PM uh, Advisors uh, Capital Management. Chuck, good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us. Just, just off the bat here, let, let me just ask you what you made of Chairman Powell's testimony and whether you think it shed any new light for us on what the prospects of a recession are or indeed uh, what the Fed intends to do next in terms of raising rates. Well, I don't think it reveals much about the prospects for recession. Um, that remains to be seen. Uh, it, re- it does repeat 
what Powell has said a number of times before and what other members of the uh, Federal Reserve have said, that uh, they are behind the curve, that they need to act aggressively to uh, raise interest rates, to uh, bring inflation down. Inflation is now, without a doubt, their primary uh, concern. Chuck, there's a, there's a community of grandee investor out there <clears throat> who feels that we're in an historic moment again for markets. I was listening to uh, Jerry, Jeremy Grantham, who, who we all know has been around for a while, uh, who's saying that if we get a bounce here, it'll be like 1929 or 2000. Don't be sucked in to a short-term bounce in markets and that we're still going a long way down. I think he's looking at something like a 65% decline for the S&P from peak to trough. Do you subscribe to that scenario playing out or do you think that we can muddle through here and the central banks actually can keep us away from a deep recession? I'm not even convinced he subscribes to his own thesis. Uh, He's always bearish, at least publicly. Uh, I can't imagine he's actually managing money that way. So um, I really have little to say about what he thinks uh, because he's always negative. Can I ask you about some of the language then around what the Fed would do if we had that negative outlook on economic growth and rising unemployment but still high inflation? To me, that was not a man who's going to be avoiding a hard landing. In fact, anything will allow the economy to slip into recession. Yeah, certainly his statements suggest that he would allow the economy to go into recession or might need to push it into recession if uh, inflation is bad enough. Um, But it's really odd. You know, the timing won't be contemporaneous Uh, if the economy starts weakening and inflation, excuse me, unemployment really picks up. uh, That should have a pretty quick impact on inflation. Uh, It will affect inflation with some lag. But uh, it won't be too long. And so I don't think he'll have that dilemma. Chuck, we've weathered a lot of market volatility to date. Are there any screaming sells or buys out there for you at this stage? (laughs) I think that the U.S. stock market has a lot of screaming buys. Um, We had the uh, stress test released uh, today. Uh, Most of the banks strike me as extremely cheap, uh, especially the large banks. Um, JP Morgan is probably the most expensive. Uh, it's the one that I used to work for. It gets a premium because of Jamie Diamond. Uh, and I think it deserves that premium. Uh, the rest of the money center banks are all very cheap. Uh, some of them ridiculously so. Uh, City is uh, trading at about uh, 50% of book value. That makes no sense. Um, so I think there's some real screaming buys in the U.S. bank sector. And there are a lot of other, other sectors that have excellent values as well. Problem is, uh, Chuck, and very good morning to you, sir. Fascinating hearing what you've got to say. The U.S. consumer is where it's all at. The service sector is where it's all at. 60 to 70 percent of the economy. Uh, and even the banking mm-hmm. sector you mentioned, which I agree with you, is in fine fettle compared with the European banking sector in many ways as well, is dependent on that consumer. And consumer confidence, which I think we've got key data again today, is at a three-month low already. We've seen loads more use of revolving capital as well, i.e. credit cards. There's concerns about various parts of the loan structure to the consumer. That could be the straw on the camel's back, couldn't it? No, I don't think so. I think much more important than that is the behavior of of the uh, job market. Uh, We have been averaging over 400,000 jobs per month in the U.S. And as long as that's the case, it is impossible 
to say that the U.S. economy is weak. And 400,000 jobs also generates a lot of income for consumers. Uh, consumers spend income. They don't spend confidence. And there's a lot of stuff going on, you know, between Ukraine and domestic politics uh, that makes the consumer very unhappy. But they still spend. They still want to go away on vacation. They're still coming out of the hibernation of the uh, pandemic. Uh, and they are going out. They are trying to spend. So I think the U.S. economy actually has a considerable amount of momentum behind it, even a sector like housing where there's so much talk about rising rates, hurting uh, demand. On a temporary basis, I think that's the case. But at the same time, that does nothing to relieve the incredible shortage of, of structures in the U.S. We have simply underbuilt for the last almost 15 years now, and it'll take years to catch up. Uh, households need a place to stay unless they're going to sure. move out into the parks or live in their cars. Chuck, Chuck, I hear what you're saying. And again, I'm not one to talk down the U.S. consumer or the economy. But, but are you ignoring some of the real facts there? I'm paying five bucks for my gasoline on average if I'm in the United States at the moment. I'm paying six percent for my 30 year mortgage on average in the United States at the moment. I'm having to pay record prices for a medium family home that I've ever paid if I'm in the United States at the moment. My energy costs for heating my home and, and um, have the air condition have gone through the roof to pretty much record levels in many cases. I hear what you're saying about the US consumer wanting to crack on uh, and wanting to go on holiday, but they're having the greatest financial constraints put upon them for a generation. Uh, I think those uh, many of those points are exaggerated. Uh, I'll take the other side of those arguments. Uh, start off with uh, with uh, energy prices. Yes, they're up. That's correct. And they're relatively high for the U.S. They're vastly lower in the U.S. than they are in Europe. Uh, so they're not as much of a drag here. Also, when we saw big uh, spikes in energy prices in the past, in 73, 74, 79, 80, the United States was a major oil importer. Now we are a major oil exporter, energy exporter. Uh, those higher prices benefit the U.S. economy in a way that they were a major headwind for the U.S. economy uh, in previous uh, episodes. And the economy has also become far more energy efficient. It takes less energy per dollar of GDP. Uh, in terms of uh, mortgage rates, uh, most uh, households have refinanced They've locked in low fixed rate 30 year mortgages. So the rise in mortgage rates for them may lock them into their current home, but it doesn't uh, become a burden on their income. Uh, they've locked in low financing costs. Uh, so there are a lot of things that you can say about the US economy uh, and, and that convey a negative tone, but I think most of them are exaggerated. Uh, the U.S. economy is still generating strong job growth. We have shortages in the auto sector, shortages in housing, two major sectors. We need to build more of both, and those will both be uh, uh, tailwinds for the economy. We're coming out of the pandemic. People are spending money um, now more on services than on goods, but nonetheless spending money. Uh, all of those things will carry the economy. Chuck, thank you very much for uh, taking the questions and joining us so early this morning. Chuck Lieben with us, partner and PM Advisors Capital Management. Coming up on the show, Ukraine wins a crucial nod from European leaders on the long path towards EU membership. We are live in Brussels next. 
And if you can't get enough of the three of us, um, then I would <laughs> recommend that you catch up with the podcast uh, a little bit later on in the business day. Uh, for more from Fed Chair Jerome Powell's second day of testimony on the Hill with uh, analysis, go to uh, the Squatbox podcast. You can find it where all good podcasts are available. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. EU has formally granted Ukraine candidate status for EU membership with Commission President von der Leyen saying the country is the only one where, quote, people got shot because they wrapped themselves in a European flag. But the move is only the first step in a lengthier session process. European Commission President von der Leyen did congratulate Ukraine as well as Moldova, which has also been granted candidate status, and Georgia, which is now set to be considered for candidature. I can be very brief because this is a very defining moment and a very good day for Europe today. Um, I warmly congratulate President Zelensky, President Sandu, President Zurabishvili. All three countries are part of our European family. We've never let any doubt about that. And today's historic decision by leaders confirms that. It grants all three the perspective of EU accession and it lays down the path ahead. I think this is a moment of great satisfaction, and I'm very pleased with the leader's endorsement of our opinions. There can be no better sign of hope for the citizens of Ukraine, Moldova, and Georgia in these troubled times. Let's get out to Sylvia for more. Sylvia, I know the number one message here for Europe is solidarity, but there are no doubt concerns too about this process and uh, even just the issues of what that means for Russia and any form of negotiation down the track. Well, first of all, it's also important to keep in mind that uh, when, when it comes to the EU granting uh, candidate status to Ukraine, that actually ha happened in record time. In fact, we saw Ukraine asking to join the EU in the wake of Russia's invasion. And now we are already seeing the EU granting candidate status. And this is an important political statement from the European side as well. But of course... This will be a very long path ahead for Ukraine. There will be a lot of reforms that the country will have to implement. But at the same time, this is also an important exercise for the EU because one of the question marks that there are at the moment is whether the EU will have to reform certain policies, including its unanimity. So for the time being, the EU needs to have all countries on the same page, for instance, when it comes to applying new sanctions on Russia. But as more countries uh, join the bloc or prepare to join the bloc, the question of whether unanimity might have to be reformed and transformed into qualified majority is on the table, is something that the European leaders will have to consider 
over the coming years as well. But indeed, this was a very important moment for the EU and for Ukraine when yesterday the EU granted that candidate status. But today, as the leaders arrive here for their second day of talks, the focus, Karen, is actually on the economy. There's a lot of pressure coming from inflation. We're seeing fewer gas flows from Russia coming to Europe as well. And I asked yesterday the high representative for the EU, Mr. Borrell, what is the latest state of play when it comes to these important gas flows from Russia to the EU? Russia is diminishing the supply of gas little by little to some countries almost 100 percent to others they are cutting 10 percent 15 percent I am I don't think they are going to cut the gas overnight especially because we are going to the summer and in the summer the gas is not a strategic weapon but the winter could be difficult and we have to be prepared in Europe for any kind of uh, use of the gas as a weapon. They are using the wheat as a weapon. So Joseph Borrell there making it clear he does not think Russia will cut all the gas supplies to Europe overnight. But that opinion contrasts with the comment that I actually got from the Prime Minister of Luxembourg. I asked him if this is indeed a risk and he said that yes, Russia can indeed cut those gas flows to Europe out of the seven. I'm fully aware that they can. They can. It's their choice. It's a natural choice and uh, they can close or they can open. Um, the fact is, it shows that in fact uh, last year, years we were not able to be more independent as a continent from others. So when uh, nice, uh, when life is nice, everything is okay. But uh, when uh, the situation gets uh, more stressy, we say we see that uh, we get into troubles too. So um, I know that we work together with Norway, we work together with um, Algeria, we work together also with LNG. We had the visit of President Biden here to speak about the energy uh, topics. But we might have problems, that's a fact. We might have raise of prices, that's a fact. And uh, we see that we are still dependent. And uh, I can tell you that uh, if we think sometimes that if we decide some things, this uh, will, uh, will be a decision where we are not able to agree, we need 27 to agree. In uh, Moscow, one person can decide by himself to cut the energy for Europe. We should know it. So the Prime Minister of Luxembourg there yesterday asked two different EU leaders whether they think a recession is on the way at, for the European continent, but they actually have been refusing to use that word and for the time being they're just saying that they need to implement more measures to support the poorer households for instance when it comes to this uh, uh, when it comes to the energy security situation as well. But let's see what the leaders will say today about the economic context. Karen, uh, one EU diplomat told me that Yesterday, the Italian government already asked for a meeting next month to talk about the economic situation as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.